Nashville on the attack. Mukhtar shoots. Mukhtar scores. Altitude meet attitude. Nashville is thriving in the rarefied air. Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio voice, Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the creator and proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. That goal you heard on iHeartRadio, the sneak attack from Hani Mukhtar off a free kick to make it 2-0 Nashville. Of course, they won 3-1 in Colorado and uh, proverbially and perhaps literally, Tim, uh, took their season to new heights. Yeah, uh, they were a mile high approximately, but uh, I think this was certainly on the road about as good as a performance gets. You're going to look back at the season opener against Seattle and say that's really good against a team that's traditionally really good. The Sounders weren't really good at the beginning of the year, and they're just now starting to come around. Colorado was was basically impenetrable at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, and, and Nashville SC put three on them, not just over the course of the game, but in 17 minutes. The second fastest start in Nashville SC history. Tim, can you name the fastest start? Uh, it was the one where Hani had the hat trick in 13 minutes. Chicago? Chicago. I believe it was yep. 16 minutes, I think. Okay. Oh, yeah. From, I think it was from, from first goal to third goal was 13, maybe. Something yeah, like that. It was quick. It was quick. We'll save some other stuff for the for the gold nuggets. But but a 3-1 win that probably, Tim, felt more like a 7-0 or 8-0 win to Gary Smith, to Matt Pickens, to Kosuke Kimura, to Steve Guppy, to all <laughs> those guys who were on the Colorado touchline 11 years ago, uh, or, of course, on the field for Colorado in Pickens mm-hmm. and Kimura's case. Uh, I wonder what that conversation was like on the flight home. I imagine they were pretty buoyant. Yeah, Gary Smith is play. He played it very cool after the game. Said, you know, this isn't that different than any other game. Uh, those feelings have kind of receded over the years, and I think that was very diplomatic of Coach Smith. I think uh, anybody who's talked to him at length knows that he still harbors some hard feelings about being dismissed from Colorado so quickly after winning MLS Cup, and he's going to be very happy that this is the team that he got an incredible result against and a result that honestly could have been more dominant than the scoreline shows if the team had continued pushing with that 3 nothing lead. And I'll give credit to Gary. You're right. He was very gracious. He was very diplomatic all week long. But I do wonder what the conversations were like behind the scenes. And I know certainly a meaningful win for him and for the boys in gold now who gained three points against a team that Gary Smith said, I think rightly, is is a rival for a playoff position probably mm-hmm. around Nashville's at the end of the year. And now, Tim, just seven road games left. 13 of their final 20 are going to be at Jodas Park, a place where they've proven to be uh, so far impossible to beat or at least tough to beat. We'll see if somebody can pull it off at some point this year. But the real significance, too, is ending a 24-game, 23-game, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. a regular season home unbeaten streak from Colorado. So now Nashville has the longest home unbeaten streak in the regular season in Major League Soccer. And Nashville, I think, has been very proud of, of what they've been able to accomplish at Geodis Park so far. Obviously, they have been clear that there's more work to be done when you look at especially um, the late goal uh, given up to Atlanta, but this is a club that is very proud of what it was able to do at Nissan Stadium last year, and the fact that they've been able to easily turn Geodis Park into that sort of sort of venue, and and are able to take away that sort of that sort of lofty standing from Dick Sporting Goods Park is something that I, I think Nashville SC fans should be extremely excited about. Thanks to wins from Dallas, LAFC, Salt Lake, LA Galaxy, Nashville doesn't gain a lot of ground on the teams that were above them. They're still in sixth heading into the international break in the Western Conference, but they do gain ground on that group of teams behind them. Four points up on Houston, Minnesota, and the Colorado team they beat. And so a good place for Nashville to be 
heading into now the uh, the international break and the early shot. We'll get more into that. The Gold Nuggets talk about the larger uh, swing they had in May. Very busy stretch, very successful stretch for this team. Uh, and then we'll get into your mailbag questions and then talk about the international break a little bit. On the other side, the international side, Walker Zimmerman heading out onto international duty. So is Anibal Godoy. And what do we expect from the U.S. men's national team at first, Tim? Uh, once again, I was back at ML Rose uh, before the <laughs> soccer match. Since I was broadcasting it, there was not a beer to be had at that point, but I did have a delicious Dasani water, sponsor <laughs> the show, along with an animal burger, of course, and some loaded waffle fries and some sweet potato fries. I really went all out. Man, Wes, you, you must have had plenty of energy to make sure that you were able to, uh, to be at full strength for that radio call. And of course, the radio call. Uh, you, you and Eddie always do a great job there, but uh, yeah, ML Rose has, has been such an important part of our podcast ever since they agreed to sponsor us. Um, unfortunately, you and I have yet to go there together, which is, I think, the funniest part. There's obviously one, um, you know, just on the edge of our neighborhood, and neither of us has been there at the same time as the other one. But of course, you're talking about the one in the 8th South that, that is the most recent one that each of us has been to. Um, I, I'm, again, always very happy to to share a beer with with any of our fans who want to meet us there, hit us up on Twitter and let us know. But um, the fact that the fact that uh, you had to broadcast the game shortly after after going there obviously prevented you from having one of those delicious beers. But certainly the food uh, had to have been living up to expectations to make up for that uh, inability to have a, a quick beer. Uh, yes, the food was that good um, that, that it makes up for the lack of a beer. And I, I even told the server, Jamie, bartender, I said, I'll be back at the end of this game. And then it was such an exhilarating game. But the baby was uh, was not sleeping well, and I had to just get home, which had a beer at home, and it was okay. But, uh, yeah, the, the setup at Jodas Park is really pretty cool, Tim. So we call road games from the same radio booth that we call home games, but you're just by yourself in the stadium. Yeah. When it gets dark, the lights are out, but I'm sitting there eating my burger, just looking out. Are you, mentally, are you mentally envisioning them on the field in front of you? <laughs> Oh, I am. Yeah, it's how. <laughs> yeah, it's great. You can kind of play the chess pieces in your mind. It's a very beautiful mind. Um, but I know I'm, the the ghosts of like the Jason Moles of the world in the other corner. Like you just you hear the supporters even when you don't now that we have some memories there. But yeah, it was great. I was sitting just looking out over, you know, the kingdom of Nashville SC, and enjoying a burger and uh, wishing I was enjoying a beer. But next time I'll go post game too. <laughs> ML Rose, uh, your destination for pregame, for postgame, and don't save it for game days. Uh, go to watch a random baseball game there if you want to. Uh, college baseball is getting hot right now. My Tennessee Volunteers, SEC champions, and you can watch them disappoint me and, and break my heart uh, at ML Rose if you choose to uh, over a beer and a burger. When you think club and country, when you think Nashville SC, when you think pregame and postgame at Geodis Park, think ML Rose. Now let's head to the early shout. Hawkinson chips one to Mukhtar! Uno! Dose! Trace! Goal, 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 goal! A brace for Mukhtar inside 17 minutes. Nashville SC are scaling to new heights. This is what you call a spanking. Three goals inside 17 minutes. The Rocky Mountain route is on. And that was Nashville's third goal. Also, Hani Mukhtar, Tim, as we'll just get right into our gold nuggets. The goal brought to you by iHeartRadio, as usual. Uh, his eighth brace in Nashville SC Colors. Now, six goals for the boys in Golden League play. Eight in all competitions to go with his five assists. And all of a sudden, as of... The end of the night Saturday, he ranked third in Major League Soccer in combined goals plus assists as he's returning to the place that the underlying metrics said he would probably arrive, which is the place he finished last year. 
uh, toward the top of this league in attacking danger. Yeah, and he's a guy who who got a slow start last year, and given that he got a slow start and wasn't kind of already on the minds of, of kind of the the intelligentsia around the league, it probably prevented him from winning a deserved MVP award. I asked Gary Smith about it after the game on Saturday. I said, hey, since people already know about him, since he's on that upward trajectory a little bit quicker this year, do you think there's a real shot? And I thought his answer saying Hani should be there was a pretty interesting one. I thought so too. And I agree, of course, but you know, sometimes Gary's going to be a little diplomatic, except of course, when he's in pursuit of glory for his guys, he's one of those who's like, you know what? I'm never going to lobby for myself for coach of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I hadn't won it by now, probably not going to happen. That's fine. My players, they deserve that. They deserve that love. And I think he knows when to compensate for Nashville's smaller market status than some or yeah. lack of sexiness in the eyes of the, we call them intelligentsia. Sometimes they're the opposite. Um, <laughs> it was, it was great to see honey. You know, when he, when he makes plays like the spin kick at the tight angle mm. uh, that, that scored the second goal, He's hot. He's feeling it. Yeah. That's not a play he makes earlier in the season. It's a play he makes in that home stretch of, of four or five games last year, though. Like when you start to see him rolling, to me, it's like, I don't know. Do we have to go on international break? Can there be another game Saturday? <laughs> I know. I know the players would say, yes, please give us the time off. We need that. But, but but is there something to be said for having that momentum and, and wanting for that to continue? Or is that a little bit too feelings ball for you? And the numbers will tell you Nashville should be in that same form, assuming they're healthy here in a couple of weeks. It can be both. I, I, I think my cold analytical heart is starting to warm up to some of the feelings ball stuff, especially when you look at a club You're like welcome. Nashville SC that seems to be so apt to ride a hot streak and also to uh, unfortunately at times hit the opposite, which we saw during parts of that road stretch, um, the draw to San Jose, obviously being kind of the nadir of that whole thing. I think when you look at Hani specifically, he, he is a guy who seems to, who rides his emotions. The this first goal that he scored, the second goal for Nashville on the day only came with an eight, chance of going in per kind of the expected goals models, which is insane to me because my guess is that Opta must have scored the feed as a cross rather than as a pass because, Mm. um, you know, a step over and an easy finish right at the top of the six yard box feels like it should be a little bit higher than that. But (laughs) um, yeah, this is a, this is a team and, and especially this is, he is the team's talisman who know how to get on a hot run and and take care of business because they are feeling themselves. That's uh, six goals and two assists, I believe, in his last five contests now in all competitions, including the winner in the U.S. Open Cup against Louisville City. Uh, And uh, so this team is hot on the attack, but also now has a new option in the back. We hadn't talked yet about the lack of panic from Elliot. Elliot Panico, (laughs) yes, you knew we had to work that one in early. That pun. He comes in and starts for the first time in MLS, the first time Joe Willis has not started in MLS. And so two starts to talk about really from him. He had four saves against Lou City in that U.S. Open Cup win, allowed a goal. Four saves again against Colorado, allows the free kick goal that was a pretty darn good kick. Tough for a keeper to stop that. And I think we have to be encouraged by the fact that Elliot Panico has come in. A, a whirlwind week for him, getting called in from Louisville, or from Indy rather. We'd played some, some pretty decent soccer there behind a pretty shoddy back line <laughs> and behind a much better Nashville back line. He delivered performances that I think could give us confidence that if he needs to be called on elsewhere in the season, he can be a productive option there. And I've, I'll admit I was starting to worry a little bit about his trajectory in the pro game last year for Austin bold. He was often making a lot of really good saves, but bold's back line was, was really making life difficult on him. And it's been a little bit the same this year with Indy 11. And and when you look at a guy who was with the senior team during his rookie year and has kind of had, you know, an 
at, at best, I would say kind of pedestrian statistical. And, and even at times the, the film, you can see, I usually put up at least one clip or two with the boys and not gold when I put those up on the website, but he looks fine. And then he comes to Nashville SC. The two goals that have beaten him so far have both been incredible goals. Diego mm-hmm. Rubio's was, was a borderline worldy on Saturday evening. And the one that Louis City scored is one that you definitely are not faulting the keeper on. So, um, you know, Joe Willis just needing a rest. Um, it, I, you know, I, I've asked Gary about this. I've asked Elliot about this as well. And, and they're kind of saying, yeah, yeah, Elliot wants to compete for the starting job, but we kind of know whose job it is. We'll see what plays out. But now you know that Nashville SC kind of has two starting caliber keepers. And maybe a cup keeper to give Willis some, mm-hmm. some rest on the road and hopefully more than one match uh, moving forward. So getting... me of, I don't even remember who it was. I think it might have been Adam Grinwist, the, the Orlando City um, uh, Cup, when they were running back and forth in the state. The supporters were running back to end to yeah. end in the stadium. That was incredible. I don't know right. why that just popped into my head when you said cupkeeper, but that you're welcome for this distraction from what we're actually talking about. Such memorable moments uh, in, in the cup, especially. I love it. Uh, so uh, looking at, at May, then you had a couple of us open cup matches included in this tally, which is eight games in 28 days, tough stretch for anybody to withstand five wins in all competitions, one loss, a stinker in Houston. You're going to have stinkers, mm-hmm. two draws. So apart from that bad Houston night, name a team who's not had a bad game in their last eight. This is exactly, I think, close to what Nashville would have wanted. I think the Colorado win probably makes up for that Houston loss and, and right. those things even out. And this is a month that puts Nashville exactly in the position it wanted to be in. Sixth place, but not looking very far up the table at what it, where it can go with 13 matches at home in its final 20. Yeah, and when you look at even the, the marginal, uh, you know, kind of the statistical margins, even that Houston game wasn't that bad. Um, in terms of what Nashville SC created and, and allowed Houston create in the course of the day. Obviously, it was terrible when you look at the fact that giving up an early goal and then and then being up a man for 60-some minutes. But this team has not always had the results that they've wanted. I mentioned the Atlanta game as well earlier. Obviously, the San Jose game I've already mentioned. I, I guess I'm just a real Debbie Downer today. <laughs> but, but this is a team that, even when they aren't getting the results, is playing reasonably well. And, you know going back to my cold-hearted analytical <laughs> analytical mindset when that's the case generally the results are going to catch up rather than the advanced stats kind of regressing to what you're achieving on the final scoreboard and that's a really bright sign for a team that has as many home games remaining they have you know uh, 13 home games remaining to only seven away did you say and then they're playing really well at home and they're already playing really well on the road all things considered it's it's a really bright time to be a Nashville SC fan Nashville doesn't play again until June 11th, so they get a couple weeks off. It's actually less time than a lot of teams are getting. Some are getting the full three weeks for the international break. The way that works is the multiple international windows this year. Each MLS team plays one match in the middle of that window, kind of how that evens out. There were a couple teams that didn't even get time off in the last international break, for instance, which was two weeks. Thank you. You're you're informing me as well. You're welcome. I think there are only three or four games that weekend of June 11th. The Nashville's Mm -hmm. one of them uh, at home against San Jose. So they'll be without Walker Zimmerman in that one, presumably, as he'll be on on international duty. Anibal Godoy as well. But I'll ask you this question. With those two weeks off, which player or or players for Nashville SC will benefit the most from having just a little bit of time either to heal, reevaluate, uh, or just recover from what's been a very big stretch of matches. And we've just talked about how Joe Willis has been long overdue for a, a mental and physical break. And I think he's a guy who, when you look at the fact that Elliot Ponico was able to give him uh, that extra couple days, that extra week, basically, 
of time off. That's, that's a little bit helpful in terms of just adding, this is a guy like many guys on this team, young kid at home, giving him a chance to, to, to get away from soccer for a sec is, is really good over this international break. But I also think it's not, not even just a guy, but it's a, it's a position group. And that's that central midfield. Sean Davis has been playing a ton. Obviously, Anibal Godoy is going to be with Panama, so he's not going to get the same sort of rest. So Dax McCarty, is, he's almost our age, so he's, he's going to need as much rest as he can get. Um, Brian Nunga can probably kind of, he doesn't necessarily need the rest, but to kind of recalibrate where he fits into the, into the kind of this, the tactical and, and maybe be learning to be a little bit more aggressive with a, with a couple of weeks to, to work on himself rather than preparing for the next opponent is something that will really help as well. I like the central midfield answer, especially the guys who are going to be able to get some training time as the, as the main men without Anibal Godoy. Uh, around so somebody like Anunga who I think showed a lot of promise and, and was has been very um, assertive in defense this year and showing some of that same punch that he had in USL when he was a, a yellow card machine he's been a little more tentative <laughs> at times in MLS and and kind of just asked to play within himself and I think now mm-hmm. he's getting a, a, a little more confident moving forward a little bit almost had another Galazzo uh, <laughs> against Colorado didn't miss it by much uh, but but certainly more importantly in defense I like that answer I think I'm, I'm inclined to go with that I mean my initial thought was Randall Ayal. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. how long he. Yeah, he, he I, I almost, I almost said Randall and Teal, just from yeah. the sake of they are guys who have been too injured to play. Time off means they're missing fewer games during that recovery too. Yeah. Well, Teal's got to be antsy too because he's seeing mm-hmm. Ethan Zubak get a lot of those minutes now. Who, who was firmly behind him in the depth chart at the beginning of the season, and of course Ake Loba, who's not been as productive mm-hmm. in league play, still mm-hmm. looking for that first shot on target in league play this year, uh, but scored in the open cup yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that rotation when teal yeah. goes back yeah and from and from teal's perspective especially um you know the the portion of training that has been open to media recently teal participates in that i presume once they go to full 11 on 11 he's off to the side working on other stuff that is my guess um but the part the part that the part that is open to the media i obviously know because i've been there so that's something to keep in mind that it seems like he's pretty close um randall probably a little ways off. He posted a video on Instagram of himself going through workouts, ladder workouts in the gym, which is a, a very good step forward because he's good. been in a boot. He's been hobbling around mm-hmm. in the past. So um, steps forward for both of those guys, for sure. That'd be great. Cause Teal has probably been a little more blue lately that he's not hey. able to get in. So producer Lily is, has really embraced the concept of the color of Teal and just the last like three weeks. And it's a very, it's a very funny thing because my wife watches the the show that Teal's sister stars on. I think it's big sky or Yellowstone. One of those. It's one of those. I don't know. Yeah. So, so, so I'm like, Oh, is that Kylie Bunbury? And Lily's over here talking about Teal and I'm, uh, I'm on <laughs> so happy zoom with you talking about Teal. It's just a very, uh, it just all comes together. This is the Teal Bunbury appreciator show. Uh, I suppose <laughs> that's great. So moving into the mailbag now, we'll keep on the subject of, of the international break. Our good friend John Cade asks, do we typically play better or worse after a break? What's our record when coming back from those? Uh, Tim, it's good. Yeah, I, when you look at the, the raw numbers, it's it's really good. I, as everybody knows, do these insane power rankings because I'm a, a crazy numbers guy. We've already talked about that a few times in this episode as well, but I stopped counting. Uh, you know, a few games into looking at, at Nashville SC games on long rest because because the the adjusted expected goals compared to the quality of the opposition, they're almost universally positive. I think the one example of one that wasn't was the New York Red Bulls game coming back from an international break last year, 2-0 loss in Red Bull Arena. Obviously, there was a lot going on there. Dax McCarty and Alex Mwil making their return to the to the franchise where they had had a lot of success. But um, in general, Nashville SC is is 
multiple standard deviations above above average performance when they're coming back from a break. And um, I think you have a little bit more of the, the standard numbers as well. Yeah, so I'm only seeing that one Red Bulls loss um, mm-hmm. ever when Nashville's had more than seven days between games, even eight days, even an extra day of rest. And Nashville SC has tended to capitalize on that. Uh, it's something like, Seven one and one. I mean, it's it's darn good. Don't quote that exact number, but the one loss I'm I'm confident in. It, it was just that Red Bull setback. Which, yeah, again, first time you're ever playing Red Bulls. It's at Red Bulls. There are all kinds of weird weird things going on there, and still wasn't a terrible performance, at least defensively. So, what would be the reason for that then? I mean, are, are we looking at at still a small enough sample size that we're like, eh, small sample size podcast, or do you think that? It's a situation where Gary's respecting his guys' time off. They're coming back fresh where others may be working their guys harder. Is it Gary taking time to evaluate tactical plans A, B, and C that he doesn't have time to do? And maybe he's better at that than other managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, where do you go with, with some kind of explanation, ex- explanation for that? Yeah, it is a small sample size for sure. Um, so let's not lose sight of that. But I do think there's Never. something to it as well. Um, I do think... The fact that Nashville C is one of the more experienced teams allows Gary to give those guys some rest. And then you see a team that's coming back. Uh, I think the incremental value of an extra day off for a team that's starting a bunch of guys who are 30 plus is a little bit more than a, a team that's that's running out a bunch of kids. I don't think Philly benefits as much uh, from, from an extra day of rest, for example. But I do think the the underrated acumen that Gary has from a, a coaching tactical X and O's perspective really comes into play here, too. We've seen him bust out some some pretty surprising game plans that have just worked like a charm coming out of these situations and i do think that is a really big part of it as well i look back to the two nil win over atlanta on the road when nashville had some Mm -hmm. extra time and he he brought out the taylor washington left side dan lovett's right side and uh just completely flummoxed that atlanta team that was in transition anyway under under pineda and uh they were just lost and i think of that as a good example of you know, Gary's good for five or six of those a year of first 20 minutes. The other team's mm-hmm. saying, oh, crap, what are we yeah. up against? This is not what we prepared for all week. And good teams can adjust to that. Right. And Nashville doesn't always get the result, but they usually do. That was my Daniel Rios celebration. I for saw that. Who's that not was watching. Nice. I wasn't sure if you understood what I was doing. But I got yeah, that, that, that sort of tweak is just something that because he has a, a reputation for kind of being a, a you know, bunker counter sort of guy, um, I as we have discussed in the past, probably unfairly, mm-hmm. but it's something that when a curveball is thrown, uh, Gary Smith's Gary Smith's catching the opponent by surprise a little bit more than maybe somebody who's constantly tinkering would be catching the opponent by surprise, and it works more often than not. Gary Smith, the next pitcher for the Nashville Sounds, throwing <laughs> curveballs. Uh, JD, with Panico playing as well as he has, and Joe falling back to earth and back to his normal stat lines, is it Elliot's job to lose at this point? I think we'd both agree, no, it's not. It's still Joe's job, and and Gary's been clear about that publicly mm-hmm. as well. That that Joe's been magnificent. We're not taking this job away from him. We're giving him a little extra time to reevaluate the the U.S. Open Cup a little little bit either lower stakes or at least lower opponent level usl where elliot's got some familiarity he proved himself well enough to get the time and give joe a little extra time to reevaluate but i think we would both agree this is still joe willis's job and we believe that that's probably the right case for it to be this yes. <laughs> for, yes. for it to be for it to be joe willis's job too and i think if you asked elliot panico as i did if, if you were able to get a, a full a fully um 
transparent answer from Elliot Panico, he would say, this is still Joe's job. I am here to make it so that it's not a Saturday, Wednesday job a ton this summer. And I will get my time now. And that's something that going out on loan the past two years was designed to make sure he did get some time instead of sitting on the bench and watching Joe play because Nashville SCC sees him as the keeper of the future. Joe was extended in the off season. He's going to be around. Elliot is going to be around as well. And these two guys are going to be a, a great one-two punch. However, the minutes play out, they're going to be in favor of Joe Willis, I still think. Stooks be hugging. Arhani and CJ currently a menace to society. Society equals MLS defenses. Uh, yes, I think so. I think you would be hard-pressed to to find an MLS defense that is super stoked to play against them, to say the least. So, um, of course, they rounded into form like this last year as well, as, as we've talked about already in terms of how Hani um, came on just a little bit too late to, to win an MVP award. But this is a, a duo that has done it before. They've done it separately and they've done it together. And I think that's going to be the case over the rest of this year. And if they can get to the levels that they were hitting kind of like in August last year, it's going to be an incredible time to be a Nationalist defense. Hani Mukhtar in all competitions, six goals in the last six games he's played. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what's, what you want out of Hani. And then CJ Sapong, of course, with the U.S. Open Cup equalizer uh, with the goal uh, against Atlanta and the goal against Colorado. So that's three in recent action for him. So, yeah, they're they're rolling right now and doing exactly what Nashville needs them to do. Travis, does Nashville have the, have the best? I can't talk today. It's a holiday. <laughs> does Nashville have the best depth at the midfield position in the league? And if not, then who does? Yeah, I think it really depends on, on how you define midfield, right? Because... Mm-hmm. There are clubs that that play very different philosophies to what Nashville SC does. I do think if you want uh, kind of an interchangeability between your midfielders, and I'm talking specifically about central midfielders and defensive midfielders, that's what what Gary Smith would call the the true midfield players. Um, I do think that Nashville SC has the most interchangeability between their players. It depends on how you define depth. I don't think Nashville SC has the top end player at this point, Dax McCarty. Uh, he will be very frustrated <laughs> to hear me say it, but he doesn't have the same burst that he had even last year. Anibal Godoy obviously is, is still playing pretty well, might not have the same. Uh, he hasn't found his form that he had last year. Some of that is due to injury. He's obviously going to be away with Panama. The fact that you can plug in Sean Davis and plug in Brian Anunga means that you do have that depth. But there are teams whose third and fourth midfielders are, are starting caliber midfielders for them too, and they might have a little bit more on the high end. You always look at a place like Seattle where they have 16-year-old Obed Vargas who can jump in mm-hmm. for Joel Paolo and thrive. Uh, Colorado as well, really. I mean, when you yeah. have Mark Anthony K, you can bring off the bench um, if, if you want to, along with some wingbacks that kind of can act like midfielders sometimes that are really solid. I think those are two options as well. But but to the point that Travis is probably trying to make, the addition of Sean Davis has made Nashville a force in midfield yeah. for sure. Uh, question uh, in the uh, the mailbag here from Scotty. Did New York Red Bulls essentially make a Lewis Morgan for Sean Davis swap? If so, did they win that transaction? Yes, yeah, Scotty asked this one via text. Uh, only our $10 a month patrons have access to that one. <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it is an interesting question because those are the two main comings and goings. Um, also, looking yes, for New York yeah, Red Bulls has, has been having an incredible year. But um, yeah, if you look at it, Morgan's a little bit more of an attacking player. They both are, are midfielders. Uh, I think you could also place Morgan as, as a true winger at times, too. He, that's certainly where he mostly played for Miami before coming over to Red Bulls. But this is, this is a trade that I think the, the underlying difference is how much are you paying for Sean Davis versus how much are you paying Lewis Morgan and what are the acquisition costs? Because um, Sean Davis is, is not the same dollar of, play, <laughs> of player that, 
that uh, that uh, Lewis Morgan is, and I, I probably should have looked it up before I started talking. But I'm looking it up really quickly right now. Yeah, Lewis Morgan is is on a DP level salary. He makes six hundred fifty three thousand one hundred and twenty five U.S. dollars per year. So that's that's not the same sort of sort of expenditure that that um, you know you're expecting. Uh, I guess a guy like Sean Davis is making six hundred grand, but he's he's going to be below that TAM cutoff, and it's just. You're asking different things from them. Obviously, the addition of Lewis Morgan has has been borderline game changer for Red mm-hmm. Bulls. But I think if Nashville had the opportunity to sign either of them this offseason, yes, you always want a player like Lewis Morgan available to you. But in terms of what Nashville needed, Sean Davis is that sort of guy. Imagine an Inter Miami that built around Lewis Morgan and Julian Carranza instead of mm-hmm. trying to bring in illegally Blaze Matuidi and, <laughs> and some of those other guys. They had they had the pieces. It turns out there to be pretty dang decent. Yeah, well, imagine t- trying to talk around how much more expensive Lewis Morgan is, and then finding out they make the same amount basically. <laughs> so... <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Uh, last question, super duper wide. Only three games left uh, for Nashville to get the cup. Do you think we'll see even more of a priority to win in Orlando? And then also an important note that I want to make at the end that he notes here. So we'll we'll get to his important note in a minute. First, the question at hand: it, it, Nashville's all in on this U.S. Open yeah, Cup, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I'd surprised might not be the, the the right word because it was something that I thought could happen for the game against Atlanta that you saw essentially a full strength lineup of of who was available at least. By the time you win that game, and especially the fact that you have traveled to a Louisville City team that, yes, is a USL championship side, but had never lost a home game in the U.S. Open Cup. By the time you knock them off and you look and you say, OK, we're playing Orlando. Um, I believe it's the only time the teams are playing this year. They, they, they are not one of the six crossover right. opponents for Nashville SC. Well, no, they do. No, they do. They do play in the regular season okay, as well, okay. just right before this. Oh, OK. So, yeah. So this is this is a rivalry game, regardless, regardless of whether they play in the regular season. It's still a rivalry game. Gary Smith. Has, has always emphasized rivalries, whether they are personal, I'm looking at you, Colorado Rapids, or whether they are kind of geographic, like this Orlando City game. And then you look at three games to win a trophy. This is a club that wants to win its first hardware. There yes. is no question about that. And yes, everybody wants to go out and win hardware, but I think this Nashville SC team looks at it and says, we understand the stakes of this. We want to do very well in Major League Soccer play, but a trophy that we can take home uh, by the before the end of the regular season in Major League Soccer, even is something that it, it's 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 an opportunity that this this franchise that this coaching staff really understands and really embraces. And when you look at especially some of the veterans on this team, um, I think Dax McCarty's is is one, two, and three in that in terms of how important silverware is to him. He's won some with New York Red Bulls. He gets it. He understands how important it is. He understands what phase of his career he's in and doesn't want to have the trophies that he already has in his trophy case be the last ones he gets. Yeah, and if you get that trophy locked up, you can play a little freer the rest of the year in league play with nothing to lose, mm-hmm. which is a good way for Nashville to play. They tend to play well when they have that yeah. that mentality. Um, so so the second part of, of Wyatt's comment we're going to get to here at the end of the show, something I think it's important for us to talk about. But in the meantime, let's, uh, let's save that for the end and go outside in and talk about the international break. Walker, Zimmerman, and Anibal Godoy going out for their respective nations in the U.S. playing a few friendlies. What do you expect Nashville's players to get out of this? And what do you look for from a U.S. perspective as they try to weed out who can really contribute to this squad heading into the World Cup? Yeah, the U.S. perspective is, is the one that's really interesting. I mean, it's a very rare uh, emphasis on country over club for me, <laughs> despite <laughs> despite what I usually have been writing lately. Is This is uh, the final or four of the final six games before the World Cup. I think at this stage we see that Walker Zimmerman not only is going to go to Qatar, but he's going to be 
pretty much the first name on the team sheet um, for, uh, for probably two of the group games and, and maybe all three of them when this uh, the, the Americans do get to Qatar. He's be, kind of developed into that important of a player for the U.S. men's national team. I want to see, honestly, my, my first priority is seeing the as many of the best 11 players playing as many minutes as possible. And that's largely because I think that's what Greg Berhalter's philosophy is going to be. He showed that in the final World Cup qualifier against Costa Rica saying, hey, we're going to run out tired legs, even though it's, it's going to lead to our loss because we don't need to win this game. And I need to get chemistry for these guys. Christian Pulisic needs to get chemistry with um, Jesus Ferreira, for example. Um, unfortunately, Georgi Mihailovic is not going to play in this window. I um, that. Ended up getting injured on Saturday. That, that. that breaks my heart. I think you and I have been big Georgie supporters yes. basically since the start of this podcast. So. Including, by the way, as captain on my fantasy team this past week. So that was a <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's somewhat a selfish bummer, but more so bummer for him. Yeah. <laughs> But seeing, first of all, how many of these of these first line players you can get together and get them minutes and then seeing how some of these maybe borderline guys that unfortunately will not include Georgie can can mix in and say, hey, I want to be one of those 23 or 26 insane that that's still not clarified to the federations yet. (laughs) I want to be one of those players that is on the plane to the Middle East and I want to be playing in the World Cup. Obviously, all these guys want to, but who's going to step up and, and take advantage of that opportunity? From a Nashville perspective, I, I think this is not quite Anibal's farewell tour, but given that Panama has not made the World Cup, these, fr- these friendlies are, he's there to provide a little bit of leadership and, and maybe help pass the torch to the next generation, which stinks. He's a dude who's, who's 31 years old. He's five years younger than me, and he's retired, potentially about to retire from a phase of his career. Mm-hmm. But um, I think if you ask any fan of Los Canaleros, he's probably number two number one in a lot of their opinions in terms of all-time players for Panama. And that's something that not every MLS team can say they have one of the greatest players for his respective country on their roster. And he tends to take that sense of pride and take it back to Nashville with him when he comes back from his international breaks too. You can tell Mm -hmm. that that instills confidence. Of course, this last (laughs) even even when he's committing two penalties. I was about to make that very large caveat. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that 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 was not as greatest. And and Gary Smith, to his credit, showed some emotional intelligence. Gave him a little extra time off, even than his Mm -hmm. body needed, I think, to mentally recover from that particular window. Uh, So four matches for the U.S. in the next couple weeks: Morocco Wednesday. Uruguay, two friendlies. Then the Inter-Nations League play Grenada, perhaps led by former USL Nashville SC player Carlton Belmar. We'll see. Dude, I love Carlton, man. I was, I, was bu- I was bummed that he wasn't one of the players making the making the leap to MLS in the first year. So uh, if shouts, produced, shouts to Carlton, man. If he yeah. produced in that second year, he could have been. And then El Salvador uh, down mm-hmm. in San Salvador to close out that window. So again, Nashville SC will play in the middle of that. So definitely without Walker mm-hmm. and on a ball. Um, and probably going to be without him uh, for that following match as well. But when you look at these four matches, Morocco, Uruguay, Grenada, El Salvador, is there one that you're most looking forward to, one that you think is going to be – I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to say Uruguay because you're going against a fellow, yeah. you know, a, a, a powerhouse South American nation. But yeah. is there one that, that you might look at as the one you're going to be uh, in particular tuning into? Yeah, the, the Uruguay one is, is is easily the best opposition in terms of a team that has qualified for the World Cup, a team that has – that had, won the inaugural world cup and has continued being a solid team this is this is a a side that is going to really test the united states i'm actually really interested in the morocco game though they are without some of their top players there's you know you typically see it with like some of the central american or caribbean teams there's some some uh tension between the federation and some of their better players but this is still going to be a really strong team 
the Americans don't play a ton of top African teams outside of World Cup situations. So getting the opportunity to play one in a friendly is really, I think it's really fun. It's what uh, world football should be about. Unfortunately, with the, the advent of these nations leagues and stuff, you're, you're seeing only more intra-confederation competition rather than inter-confederation competition. But that's what makes that one fun to me. And I'm, I'm really excited to see this Morocco game. And of course, the fact that um, this first one is, <laughs> is a little helpful in there too. I'm going to go contrarian and actually say maybe the Grenada game because I want to see that that depth really tested. I think that's an opportunity for mm-hmm. guys to come in who maybe wouldn't normally get minutes and we get to really see what they can do. Now, can we value what they do against a team like Grenada is, a, is a, another good question, uh, certainly. You know, if you score a brace against Grenada, it doesn't mean you're going to do that against England mm-hmm. in the World Cup. But, but I think even still, no, it's, no, it it's does. fun. It does. It does. Okay, <laughs> there you go. All right, well, you heard it here from Tim, uh, from the from – the, uh, the anti-feelings ball guy's mouth. <laughs> That's it. I've been called out. That's it. All right. So let's, let's move to the final whistle. And Tim, with your permission, I'd like to forego uh, content recommendations. I, and... I will have one in okay. tandem, in tandem okay. with this. So. And, and I will as well, actually, technically it's not content. It's more of an action. Each of us can yeah. take. It's going to okay, be I think we're going to share crazy. our content recommendation here. We might. Um, I want to ask you about something you did uh, and this gets, um, it's not outside the scope of our podcast. Honestly, it's not. Because right now we're all human beings first and, mm-hmm. and soccer fans and analysts second. And we saw what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and all of us, whatever political stripes we might be wearing or mourning, what happened. Um, yeah. You chose to raise awareness in a, in a unique and I think very honorable, outstanding way with your match updates against Colorado. If you don't mind sharing what you did and why you did it. Yeah, I think... Um... It was not easy for me to do. I think everybody knows I've already shouted her out on this podcast. I have a four-year-old daughter and hearing about the deaths of, of nine and 10 year old children was really tough for me. So with every match update, I did not just provide a goal score and assist. I provided an anecdote, um, most of them from the New York times. Thank you to the New York times. Um, some of them from um, gathered around Twitter of, of who these kids were. These were not, these were not political pawns for people to say, um, you know, take away guns or don't take away guns. These were not political pawns for people to say, oh, it's not the time to talk about gun control. These are dead children. And so I provided updates about them. Um, it was not easy for me to do. It's obviously, it's obviously not easy for me to talk about right now. But this is, um, this is, this is an issue that, that, like you mentioned, transcends politics. Um, and I, I Shout out to Alejandro Bedoya. Unfortunately, um, you know, in the in the three years since he grabbed the field microphone and said, "Congress, do something now. Um, let's 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 stop gun violence." Um, nothing has happened. I think I, this is the worst part. Um, I don't remember if he was saying it in response to the Pulse shooting. I don't remember if it if he was saying it in response to the Parkland shooting. Um, I. Shoot, in a year's time, I might think he was saying it in response to the Uvalde shooting. All of this is, it, it can't happen. That's the point, right? Yeah, it, cannot, lost... it cannot happen. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, people, do, people do use these children as, as political pawns. And unfortunately, you would, you would think the political pawn side would be doing, doing too much. And yet, we consistently do nothing. And that's, and that's not okay. And that's something that um, is very near to my heart. I was... I was uh, I was watching the the Nashville Colorado game with with Lily, um, and she interrupted uh, she interrupted our watching at one point to tell me that she went through active shooter drills on Friday at her at her preschool, 
And this, we're, we are more concerned with, with sending four-year-old children through active shooter drills than we are in making sure a gun doesn't show up at their school. And that is not okay. And we've got to do something about it as a country. And unfortunately, um, um, raising money for the people of Uvalde is not going to bring their children back. It is not going to make them feel better that their child is, is going to have a funeral on Memorial Day. But it, it's the, the smallest thing that we can do. Um, and an incredible shout out to Los Verdes, the Austin FC supporters group. Um, I do not have um, enough positive things to say about them for yeah. raising money for for the families of Uvalde, um, you can, I, I'm sure Wes will put it in the show notes, but you can also look up Los Verdes on Twitter and they will tell you how you can, how you can help them out. Mm -hmm. um, take it away, Wes. Yeah. It's Memorial Day as we record this. And Americans of all political stripes are honoring men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. I would like to think that freedom includes the ability to send our children to school without worrying they're going to get shot. I would like to think that whoever you voted for last year, five years ago, I don't really care. I mean, I, I, I care because I'm engaged politically myself as well, but I care more about what we're doing, getting outside our tribes and honoring true freedom, not the freedom to carry an assault rifle around town when it means somebody else can get them legally and easily and do what happened in Texas. The freedom to have the peace of mind to know that, yes, in this world, terrible things are going to happen, but that we can do what we can to limit that. There is no perfect policy solution here, but there are places we can start. And it doesn't mean taking away every gun in this nation. It doesn't mean burning the Second Amendment. It, it means protecting our children before we protect the NRA. And I don't care how you grew up, what you grew up believing. I don't care how many guns you own. I hope you own them responsibly. Maybe you don't. I don't. I don't have a gun in my house. I never will. Um, but I care that we do what it takes to protect the most innocent people in our society. And if we can't do that now, and if we couldn't do that after Sandy Hook, shame on us. Because ultimately, the blood is on our hands as a nation. Um, want to hear? Want to hear something really chilling, Wes? Yeah. I, I named no, three but or yeah. four. I named three or four options for what Alejandro Bedoya could have been responding to. It was none of those. Ugh. It was, it was the El Paso uh, Walmart shooting and the the Dayton uh, random act of violence shooting in 2019. So that's that's great. I, I love to love to hear that we've done absolutely nothing in the time since we. I guess Alejandro Bedoya has not set the the legislative agenda in this country. Uh, and and you know there may be somebody listening to this who says, "Oh crap, you know I like this show, but after a year and a half, they've finally gone political, and I just can't." You know, and and I hope you know, Peace. we hadn't mentioned yeah, exactly. You know what? Maybe we should follow other people. Um, this is not about politics. Yes, the solution will ultimately include political maneuvering and compromise and all of that. This is about lives. This is about our freedom. <laughs> Not freedom to carry an AR-15. Freedom for our kids to go to school and us know they're going to get home okay. And until we have that, we're not as free as those who died for our country would like us to be. So, my contra recommendation is to call your legislators. I can give you the numbers right now. I've done it. Uh, I've called uh, both Tennessee senators. Uh, I've called our uh, representative in Nashville, uh, Representative Jim Cooper, and I've called Governor Lee's office as well. It was easy. It was short. It was courteous. You know, I didn't call and scream at them. Here are their numbers. Bill Haggerty's office in Washington, D.C. Write this down or we'll put this in the show notes as well. 
402-224-4944. Marsha Blackburn, 202-224-3344. I won't just read off a bunch of numbers. I'll just do those two for now. Um, Don't be so disillusioned as I'm tempted to be to think that that call doesn't make a difference. If enough of us call, just perhaps, just maybe, we can pray, we can think. Because thoughts and prayers, I believe in as well. But you know what? In my faith tradition, in the book of James, faith without works is dead. Pray all you want. We got to do something. And this is something easy each of us can do. Um, I don't care what you believe politically or spiritually or any of that stuff. We can band together on this one. Uh, common sense background checks, red flag laws. It's a start. It's a start. And it could have helped in this instance. Uh, so my recommendation, call your senators, call your representative. It's best if you call the ones for whom you are a constituent um, that's most effective and be short, be sweet, be kind to these staffers who are taking these notes. They're going to note a groundswell of support for common sense gun legislation if folks like us step up. And my content recommendation, I, I uh, mid-rant there and mentioned it, but um, check out Los Verdes fundraiser. You can find them on Twitter, since I did not get it quite right, at Los Verdes ATX. And they have it, I believe, pinned to the top of the profile. Please see this not as a political rant, because it's not. I think most of you will understand this is the pleadings of two fathers. And whether you have kids or not, we all, we all value our own lives and the lives of those we love, regardless of age. Um, so thanks for giving us that platform. Um, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. I, we hope you didn't enjoy the past few minutes because we certainly didn't either. But it was important for us to discuss. So um, thank you. And uh, thanks to ML Rose for its sponsorship. Thanks, as always, to 440 Sports to Moon Taxi for the music. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next week.